Chapter 11 of Railstone Luck by Andre Norton. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter 11 Railstones to the Rescue. Val, what are you doing here? she demanded. Following you. Good grief, girl, he exploded. Haven't you any better sense than to come into the swamp this way? Ricky's mouth lost its laughing curve and her eyes seemed to narrow. She was, by all the signs, distinctly annoyed. It's perfectly safe. I knew what I was doing. Yes? Well, I will enjoy hearing Rupert's remarks on that subject when he catches up with us, snapped her brother. Val! She lost something of a defiant attitude. He guessed that for all her boasted independence, his sister was slightly afraid of Mr. Rupert Railstone. Val, he isn't coming too, is he? He is, if he got my message. Val stretched his leg cautiously. The cramp was slowly leaving the muscles and he felt as if he could stand the remaining ache without wincing. I sent Sam too back to tell Rupert where his family had eloped to. Frankly, Ricky, this wasn't such a smart trick. You know what Charity said about the swamps. Even the little I've seen of them has given me ideas. But there was nothing to it at all, she protested. Jeems told me just how to get here and I only followed directions. Val chose to ignore this, being hot, tired, and in no mood for one of those long arguments such as Ricky enjoyed. By the way, where is Jeems? He looked about him as if he expected the swamper to materialize out of thin air. Ricky sat down on the edge of the platform and dangled her booted feet. Don't know, but he'll be here sooner or later, and I don't feel like going back to the swamp just yet. The flies are awful, and did you see those dreadful vultures on that dead tree? What a place! But the flowers are wonderful and I saw a real live alligator, even if it was a small one. She rubbed her scarf across her forehead. Whew! It seems hotter here than it does at home. This outing was all your idea, Val reminded her, and we'd better be getting back before Rupert calls out the Marines or the state troopers or something to track us down. Ricky parted. Not going until I'm ready, and you can't drag me if I dig my heels in. I have no desire to be embroiled in such an undignified struggle as you suggest, he told her loftily. But neither do I yearn to spend the day here. I'm hungry. I wonder if our absent host possesses a larder. If he does, you can't raid it, Ricky answered. The door's locked, and that lock, she pointed to the bright disk of brass on the solid cabin door, is a good one. I've already tried a hairpin on it, she added shamelessly. They sat a while in silence. A wandering breeze had found its way into the clearing, and with it came the fragrance of flowers blossoming under the sun. The chicken family were pursuing a worm with more energy than Val decided he would have cared to expend in that heat, and a heavily laden bee rested on the lip of a sunflower to brush its legs. Val's eyelids drooped, and he found himself thinking dreamily of a hammock under the trees, a pillow, and long hours of lazy dozing. At the same time, a corner of his brain was sending forth nagging messages that they should be up and off, back to their own proper world. But he simply did not have the willpower to get up and go. Nice place, he murmured, looking about with more approbation than he would have granted the clearing some ten minutes earlier. Yes, answered Ricky, it would be nice to live here. Val was beginning to say something about no bath tubs when a sound aroused them from their lethargy. Someone was coming down the path. Ricky's hand fell upon her brother's shoulder. Quick, 
up here and behind the house, she urged him. Not knowing just why he obeyed, Val scrambled up on the tiny platform and scuttled around behind the cabin. Why they should hide thus from Jeems, who had given Ricky directions for reaching the place and had asked her to come, was more than he could understand. But he had a faint, uneasy feeling of mistrust, as if they had been caught off guard at a critical moment. This the place read. The clipped words sounded clear above the murmurs of life from swamp and woods. Yeah, bum-looking joint, ain't it? These guys ain't got no brains. They like to live like this. The contempt of the second speaker was only surpassed by the stridency of his voice. What about this boy? asked the first. Dumb kid. Don't know yet who his friends is. There was a satisfied grunt as the speaker sat down on the step Val had so lately vacated. Ricky pressed closer to her brother. What about the cabin? He ain't here and it's locked, see? You'd think he kept the crown jewels there. The tickling scent of a cigarette drifted back to the two in hiding. Beats me how he slipped away this morning without Pitts catching on. For two cents I'd spring that lock of his. Isn't worth the trouble, replied the other decisively. These trappers have no money except at the end of the first season, and then most of them are in debt to the storekeepers. Then why? I sometimes wonder, the voice was coldly cutting, why I continue to employ you, Red. What profit would I find in a cabin like this? I want what he knows, not what he has. Having thus reduced his henchmen to silence, the speaker went on smoothly, as if he were thinking aloud. With Simpson doing so well in town, we are close to the finish. This swamper must tell us. His voice trailed away. Except for the creaking of wood, when the sitter shifted his position, there was no other sound. Then Red must have grown restless, for someone stamped up to the platform and rattled the chain on the cabin door aggressively. Val flattened back against the wall. What if the fellow took it into his head to walk around? Gonna wait here all day? demanded Red. As it is necessary for me to have a word with him, we will. This waste of time is the product of Pitt's stupidity. I shall remember that. It is entirely needless to use force, except as a last resource. Now that this swamper's suspicions are aroused, we may have trouble. Yeah? Well, we can handle that. But how do you know that this guy has the stuff? I can at least believe the evidence of my own eyes. The other replied with bored contempt. I came down the river alone the night of the storm and saw him on the levee. He has a way of getting into the house all right. I saw him in there. And he doesn't go through any of the doors either. I must know how he does it. All right, boss. And what if you do get in? What are we supposed to be looking for? What those bright boys up there found a few days ago. That clerk told us they discovered whatever the girl was talking about in the office that day. And we've got to get that before Simpson comes into court with his suit. I'm not going to lose fifty grand. The last sentence ended abruptly, as if the speaker had snapped his teeth shut upon a word, like a dog upon its quarry. What does this guy Jeems go to the house for? asked Red. Who knows? He seems to be hunting something too. But that's not our worry. If it's necessary, we can play ghost also. I've got to get into that house. If I can do it the way this Jeems does, without having to break in, so much the better. We don't want the police ambling around here just now. Val stiffened. It didn't require a Sherlock Holmes to get the kernel of truth out of the conversation he had overheard. Night of the storm, play ghost were enough. So Jeems had been the ghost. And the swamper knew a secret way into the house. Wait! 
Ricky's lips formed the words by his ear as Val stirred restlessly. Someone else is coming. I don't like the setup in town, Val was saying peevishly. That smooth mouthpiece is asking too darn many questions. He's always asking Simpson about the things in the past. If you hadn't got Sim that family history to study, he'd have been behind bars a dozen times by now. And he had better study it, commented the other dryly, because he is going to be word perfect before the case comes to court, if it ever does. There are not going to be any slip-ups in this deal. Another thing I don't like, broke in the other, is this Waverly guy. I don't like his face. No? Well, doubtless he would change it if you asked him to. And I do not think it is wise of you to be too critical of plans which were made by deeper thinkers than yourself. Sometimes, Red, you weary me. There was no reply to that harsh judgment. And now Val could hear what Ricky had heard earlier. A faint swish as of a paddle through water. Again, Ricky's lips shaped words he could barely hear. Spur of Bayou runs along here and back. Someone coming up from there. James? Maybe. We'd better... Val motioned towards the front of the cabin. Ricky shook her head. Jeems was to be allowed to meet the intruders unwarned. This swamper may be tough, ventured Red. We've met hard cases before, answered the other significantly. Red moved again, as if flexing his muscles. One boy, and a small one at that, shouldn't force you to undergo all that preparation, goaded the boss. Ricky must get away at once, her brother decided. Stubbornness or no stubbornness, she must go this time. Why he didn't think of going himself, Val never afterwards knew. Perhaps he possessed a spark of the family love of danger, after all, but mostly he clung to his perch because of that last threat. Whoever Jeems was, or whatever he had done, he was one and alone. And he might relish another player on his side, but Ricky must go. He said as much in a fierce whisper, only to have her grin recklessly back at him. In pantomime she gestured that he might try to make her. Val decided that he should have known the result of his efforts. Ricky was a real stone too, and short of throwing her off the platform and so unmasking themselves completely, he could not move her against her will. No, she whispered, they're planning trouble for Jeems. He'll probably need us. Well, Val cautioned her, if it gets too rough, you've got to promise to cut downstream for help. We'll be able to use it. She nodded. It's a promise, but we've got to stand by Jeems if he needs us. If he does, Val was still suspicious, he may fall in with their suggestions. Ricky shook her head. He isn't that kind. I don't care if he has been playing ghost. Someone was walking along the path, among the bushes bordering the back of the clearing. Although they could hear no sound, they could mark the passing of a body by the swish of the foliage. Val lay face down on the platform and reached for a stick of wood lying on the ground below. Somehow he did not like to think of being caught empty-handed when the excitement began. Hello! It was red, suddenly genial. The railstones could almost feel the radiance of the smile which must have split his face. What are you doing here? That was Jeems, and his demand was sharply hostile. Now, bub, don't get us wrong. That was Red, still genial. I know my pal sort of flew off his base this morning, but it was all in fun, see? So we kind of wanted you to stick around till he came and not do the run out on us. And now the boss has come down here so we can talk business all friendly like. Shut up, Red. 
Having so bottled his companion's flow of words, the other spoke directly to Jeems. My men made a mistake. All right, that's over and done with. They'll get theirs. Now let's get down to business. What do you know about that big plantation up the river, the one called Pirate's Haven? Nothing. Jeems' answer was clear. The hostility was gone from his voice. Nothing remained but an even tonelessness. Come now, I know you have reason to be hot, but this is business. I'll make it worth your while. Nothing, answered Jeems, as concisely as before. You can't expect us to believe that. I followed you one night. You did? The challenge was unmistakable. I did. So you see, I know something of you, something which even the present owner does not. Say the ghost in the hall, for example. There was a sound of a deeply drawn breath. So you see, it is to your advantage to listen to us, continued the boss smoothly. What do you want? Val knew disappointment at that question. Would Jeems surrender as easily as that? Just an explanation of how you get into the house unseen. You'll never know. The swamper's reply came swift and clear. No? Well, I'd think twice before I held to that answer if I were you. Purred the other softly. A word to the railstones about those nightly walks of yours? Won't give you what you want, replied Jeems shrewdly. I see. Perhaps I have been using the wrong approach, observed the boss composedly. You work for a living, don't you? Yes. Then you know the value of money. What is your price? Come on, we won't haggle. The boss's impatience colored his tone. How much do you want for this information? Nothing. Nothing? I ain't said nothing, and I ain't gonna say nothing. And you'd better be a goodin' off this here land of mine afore... Before what, Swamper? Red was taking a hand in the game. You can't frighten me with that gun, came calmly enough from Jeems. You ain't a-goin' to risk shootin'. There ain't no witnesses here, kid, and there ain't no law back in these swamps. You gonna tell the boss what he wants to know, and you're gonna spill it quick, see? I know some ways of making guys squeal. At that suggestion, Val's fingers tightened on his club, and Ricky choked back a cry as her brother crept towards the corner of the cabin. Their melodrama was fast taking on the color of tragedy. So you better speak up. Red was still encouraging Jeems. There was no immediate answer from the swamper, but Ricky touched Val's arm and nodded towards the bushes. She had decided that it was time for her to leave. He agreed eagerly. She dropped lightly to the ground, and he watched her crawl away unnoticed by those in front, who were so intent upon the baiting of their quarry. Three minutes, swamper! Ricky was gone, free from whatever might develop. Val edged forward and for the first time peered around the corner of the cabin. The two assailants were still only voices, but he could see Jeems. The swamper's face was bruised, and there was a smear of dried blood across one cheek, as if he had already been rough-handled. But he stood at ease, facing the cabin. His hands were hanging loosely at his sides, and he was seemingly unconcerned by what confronted him. Suddenly, his eyes flickered to the bushes at one side. Had Ricky betrayed herself? Val wondered breathlessly. Clear now of the cabin, Val wriggled his way around the platform. In a minute, he would be able to see the boss and Red. He gripped the club. Then Jeems stared straight into his face. But the swamper gave no sign of seeing Val, and that, to the boy's mind, was the greatest feat of all that afternoon. For Val knew that if he had been in Jeems' place, he would have betrayed them both in his surprise. 
The others were at last visible, their backs to Val. Nervously, he sized them up. The boss was tall and thin, but his movements suggested possession of wiry strength. Red, his brick-colored hair making him easy to identify, was shorter and thick across his shoulders, but his waistline was also thick, and the boy thought that his wind was bad. Of the two, the boss was the more dangerous. Red might lose his head in a sudden attack, but not the boss. Val decided to tackle the latter. Slowly, he got from his knees to his feet. After the first quick glance, Jeems hadn't looked at him, but Val knew that the swamper was ready and waiting to take advantage of any diversion he might make. Three minutes are up, swamper. So you've decided to be tough, eh? What do you want to know? Jeems' question was silly, but it held their attention. We have told you several times, answered the boss, his temper beginning to fray visibly. What is the trick of getting into the house? Well, Jeems raised his hand to rub his ear. You turn to the left. So he agreed with the listener. Val was to take the boss on his left. He gathered his feet under him for the leap, which he hoped would land him full upon the invader. Yes, prompted the man impatiently as Jeems hesitated. At that moment Val sprang, but his game leg betrayed him again. Instead of landing cleanly upon the other, he came down draggingly across the boss's shoulders. The gun roared, and then the attacked man lashed back a vicious blow which split the skin over Val's cheekbone. For the next three minutes, Val was more than occupied. His opponent was a dirty fighter, and when he had recovered from his surprise, he was more than the boy could handle. Val's club was twisted out of his hands, and he found himself fighting wildly to keep the man's clawing fingers from his eyes. They were both rolling on the ground, flailing out at each other. Twice, Val tasted his own blood when one of the enemy's vicious jabs glanced across his face. Either blow would have finished Val had it landed clean. Then, in a sudden turn, the boss caught him in a deadly body lock, which left him half-stunned and panting at his mercy. And there was no mercy in the man. When Val looked up into that flushed, snarling face, he knew that he was as hopeless as a trapped animal. The man could, and would, finish him at his leisure. This way, Rupert! Sam! The cry reached even Val's dulled ears. The man above him stirred. The boy saw the bloodlust fade from his eyes, and apprehension take its place. He got to his feet, launching a last bruising kick at Val's ribs before he limped across the clearing. On his way, he hauled Red to his feet. They were going, not towards the path from the bayou, but around the house on the trail that Jeems had followed. Val struggled up and looked around. The turf was torn and gouged. In the dust lay his club and Red's revolver. And by the steps lay something else, a slight brown figure. Painfully, the boy got to his feet and lurched across to Jeems. End of chapter 11 Recording by Gabriel Glenn